Welcome, fellow travelers. Hey, this is Monty, and welcome to my podcast number 11 today. I am really excited to get into this podcast. I have on the set for you a great interview with a friend of mine named Bob Fabey. Bob has just written a book that I really encourage you all to go get. It's called Not My Jesus, How to Embrace Our Sacred Role in a Changing World. We're going to discuss his book, Not My Jesus, and how so many people try to make Jesus their poster boy, and they create their own image of who God is and how God should work, but Jesus doesn't allow us to do that. We're going to look at his journey uh, of his life and his family. Uh, Bob used to be a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which is the uh, the tribe that um, I am a part of, but uh, in the last few years he has uh, moved over and he has become an Anglican priest, and that's just an amazing uh, conversation in and of itself. So if you're ready, I tell you, our conversation is going to move all over the place from <laughs> where he lives at in Phoenix all the way through the ultimate ethic that Jesus tries to bring about in all of his followers, which is love. Hey, so if you are ready, then let's dig into this episode number 11 with Bob Faby, author of Not My Jesus. Bob, I just want to say welcome and thanks for uh, spending some time uh, with me here today. Give a shout out to everybody. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Monty. It's a joy to reconnect and uh, and to be here with you. And I, I'm grateful that the rest of the world knows that I'm here because I'm so world famous. <laughs> you are. You are. And uh, and so, and Bob, you are in Arizona. That's correct. And so up here in the Pacific Northwest currently, um, we have so much smoke. Uh, it's it, actually the moon last night was looking like a blood moon. It was so weird. Uh, how how are things in Arizona? Are the skies well, clear? <laughs> uh, clear. Uh, what well, actually? What's funny down here is that we have a monsoon season, which you wouldn't necessarily associate with Arizona. But what'll happen is that it will um, it'll get to about 115 in the day, 110, uh, even you know sometimes 105. But then the humidity goes way up, and uh, you get these wicked thunderstorms and dust. Uh, storms, which are affectionately known as haboobs, <laughs> haboobs, and, <yeah>, haboobs, <laughs> and, uh, I, and uh, what happens is then the, the um, it's not like the smoke. I mean, I grew up in Western Montana. Yeah, I know smoke from the fires, but um, there becomes uh, the particulate in the air just gets gets horrible. Yeah, it gets crazy. Yeah, you may have noticed I might have coughed a couple times, and and I might be doing that throughout just because you pick stuff up like crazy down. Ah, here. sorry to hear that, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so you had a Facebook video, uh, a moment of you coming in your front door a little little wet. So what was happening on that one the other day? Well, it's really, uh, again, uh, because it's the monsoon season, um, it, it is so strange. Normally when it's raining, it's cold. Uh, yeah. And here it will rain. And, and I mean, it's like God is angry. <laughs> rain. I mean, it's pouring down. The wind is, blow, you know, and it's it's kind of going sideways. And uh, and. <laughs> And it's so fun because we don't see rain, and all of us probably grew up somewhere else. And so when it yeah. rains, it's a big deal. So it's we a go, big deal. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. It's not like Seattle area. And so when it does, um, it's still a hundred degrees out, and it's not like it's cold. Yeah, uh, it's really fun to run outside. So I was, I thought, man, I'm going to run outside. This is going to be great. And <laughs> my wife caught me on camera, and uh, I was trying to do a dance, <laughs> a rain dance. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I was trying and I lost my flip flops, so it became 
pretty pathetic, frankly, just really wet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a great it was a great shot though. So you mentioned your your wife. So I uh, you've been married to your lovely bride Amy for how long now? Uh, twenty. We just celebrated twenty three years. Twenty three years. So where uh, where did you meet? Uh, we met at the University of Montana. We were both um, enrolled uh, as students there, and she had previously been involved with a different uh, Christian organization, and we kind of met at Campus Crusade for Christ. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> so how, well, how long were you with Campus Crusade? Well, um, that's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> part, part of my own spiritual journey was that uh, when I got to college, I really was running my own life and kind of doing my own thing. And, and um, these guys kept, God, man, I would find them in the um, university center and stuff. And yeah. they would say, hey, you know, can we can we share a four-point outline on the New Testament? And I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, and they would say, you know, well, do you believe these things? And I was like, yeah. And they, they said, do you want to come to our meeting? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, you Christians, weird. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a Christian, but that's weird. Well, at some point, in some way, um, I, and I don't even know how, but I actually went to, you know, it was Pacific Northwest uh, Christmas Conference in Portland, um, and it would have been uh, New Year's Eve, 91, 92, I, rede I rededicated my life to Christ. So that was kind of the pivotal moment for me. Um, so it would have been somewhere maybe in the fall of 91, and then I graduated in 94 and um, did a ton of work. So I was the you know, it's on paper. Yeah, uh, I was the campus president and uh, did um, did a couple of summer projects with Crusades. Awesome. Just really heavily involved. Yeah, and they did the. I don't know if you. I don't know if you were ever involved in Crusade, but they do the staff challenge. You know, where they invite yeah. you to staff, and I, I just kind of knew that uh, raising support was probably not going to be something in the cards for me. I just wasn't yeah, my <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a tough life. Yeah, you know, always. Yeah, the rest of your life raising support. As it is, it's not easy. No, and I, you know, the way that Amy and I are put together, we just kind of knew, like, yeah, that's probably not going to be in our cards. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was uh, my first year. I was at Central Washington University. I went there for two years before I transferred to Bible College. So I really met Jesus at the end of my first year. And mm. uh, there was Josh McDowell came to campus. Yeah. And he was doing his uh, his talks. I remember one of his talks was uh, Maximum Sex. And uh, they had these po and I go, wow, that's that sounds really good. Uh, and so I go to this I mean, big conference, you know, the, and the the ballroom's full, and here's this guy I never heard of, and he starts talking about the beauty of monogamy and marriage, and I'm like, well, it's not what I thought it was gonna be. And but anyway, it was a good talk, right? And then the next day he had posters, and it said the resurrection hoax. And I went, I wasn't really a believer. I grew up Catholic. Um, and I was like, everyone knows the resurrection's true. You know, so I, he hooks me in again. And so I go, and then he proves through his journey uh, why the resurrection was real. And I dropped my name in the bucket that night. And then Campus Crusade meets with me uh, the next day. I still have my first original Four Spiritual Laws. Oh, that's, that's and uh, I have kept it all these years with the guy from the dorm he was in, shared it with me. And I came close um, it made sense, but then he bashed my Catholic uh, upbringing, and yeah. so that actually it actually sent me backwards a little bit. I mean, that's boy, there's a conversation right there, right? Here you had this guy saying the Jesus thing's real, but you bashed the seed of faith that brought him forward, right. and and but uh, but uh, I still have a, a a place in my heart. After I fully gave my life to Christ, I actually was 
doing some small group stuff with campus. So I, yeah. it came around, but that's so cool. I did not, I did not know that. I think it's a great foundation. Yeah. Uh, grateful for it. Yeah. yeah. And so now your, I just saw also your daughter, Hannah. So yep. she has left the nest and she is going back to the Holy land of Montana. <laughs> She's actually there right now. Yeah. Uh, she, uh, thanks for bringing up the painful leaving of the nest. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so uh, my wife's family has a ranch in central Montana, so she went back. Uh, she spent the summer there after she graduated high school, uh, help out on the ranch. Uh, there's a newborn there, uh, Amy's brother's uh, family. They've, they've had a baby, and so she's helping out, uh, taking care of the little one and uh, helping out around the ranch, doing some cleaning. That's, that's, that pretty, cool. that's yeah, pretty cool. And, yeah, so we, uh, my wife's going to pick her up. In a couple weeks, actually, and then we are off to uh, Cape and Ray in the UK. Cape and seriously? Yeah, she's going to spend six <sighs> months in the UK. So that's good. Yeah, um, their program looks amazing at Cape yeah, and Ray. Every everything we've heard about it is has been really positive. Uh, the people that we know who've been through it have been, yeah, you know, and they've said it's a great experience. The weird because of Brexit, uh, they're she's only wow. able to six months because uh, she's non UK. Oh, okay. uh, but we're we're really excited for her to do oh, to do that okay. and to kind of broaden her perspectives and and um, you know give her six more months under her belt. Yeah, we're not we're not the driver people where you know hey you gotta you know go to college and figure yeah. out exactly what you got you know it's like uh, just take your time take and your don't, time figure it out yeah don't, yeah and don't just try not to train wreck until you're <laughs> fully formed and then and then we'll. You know, if you show up from the UK with a giant Manchester United tattoo on your face, then we, you know, we gotta we gotta come back around and say, yeah. "Whoa, we shouldn't have done that." But yeah, yeah fantastic kid. She's Aww. she's a, just a beautiful girl inside and out, and we're we're really excited about what Christ is doing in her. So. so cool. And then you got JP. So and he's going to be a junior. JP's a junior wow. this year. Stands for Joseph Paul. He's uh, he's Joseph Paul the Fourth. Wow. which occasionally he likes to roll out when he's feeling sophisticated. Um, but, uh, yeah, he is, a. He, again, I mean, we're really grateful for our children. They are fantastic humans. Yeah. And, um, he's just, he's a ton of fun. He's really, really funny. Uh, we try not to tell him how funny he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got to keep that balanced, right? Yeah, I got to keep your head, and, you know. <laughs> and it's like, oh, man. Don't laugh too hard because we don't want them to know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you have a great family. And, yeah, I'd love to hear more about uh, your daughter's journey with Cape and Ray, too. It does It does look amazing. And now you're figuring out. So if JP's got, like, you know, a couple more years, you're starting to see his journey unfold. And that's one of the beauties, I think, of being a parent is just watching our kids' journey unfold. Yeah. Uh, in front of us, watch what God is what watch what God is doing and helping them, you know, better acclimate to that in their own lives. So, good stuff. Ah, so good. So, good. so Bob, uh, you know, our our relationship goes back to I don't remember what year, but it was a it was a a family camp, Christian Missionary Alliance family camp in Oregon yep. at Canby Grove. Yep. Um, when we first met. And um, you were teaching there, and uh, for those listening, uh, Bob's journey has—he's—he's—he's uh, he's, he's been in a, a, a couple different places. When he was uh, been with the Christian Missionary Alliance, which is the tribe that I am ordained in, and uh, and that's where we first connected. But uh, he's also made a transition. So Bob is now in the Anglican Church, and I—I I thought. 
you know, if you could just share with us, what was that journey like and what brought you to that? That's an interesting journey from, yeah. you know, from such a, a holy movement like the CNMA. Uh, <laughs> but uh, similar, obviously, in many ways, many, many yeah, ways. But, I, listen, uh, first and foremost, you know, the, the theological perspectives really aren't that far off. Yeah. Um, and so I think I, I really think my Anglican journey began in seminary. I didn't really know it, but I went to the CNMA seminary in, uh, in Canada. And, um, so it's called Canadian theological seminary for, you know, did my undergrad in history at the university of Montana and then went to, went to seminary in Canada. And my, <clears throat> my new Testament professor was from Oxford. Mm. He happened to be N.T. Wright's second doctoral candidate. <laughs> not bad right not bad right and uh and so you know we were sitting in class and we're we're wrestling through uh new testament people of god and our professor would say something like uh i don't know the answer to that question let me call tom tomorrow and and you know it worked out and we had no i mean you know who's tom and who's i don't tom? care and yeah. so, you just yeah you know you remember i mean it's a thousand pages per class and then plus you know so we're just reading and writing and doing all we can but I remember being shaped by um, Tom Wright's uh, emphasis to place Christ in his first century Jewish context. Yes, and yeah. as a historian, I, I, I just thought, this is, I really like this. Now, I know that he's, he's, he's built on what Sanders did, um, you know, and so, so he, he's not the only one to do that. But he, he was, uh, what he was doing at the time was making a great deal of sense to me. And so we were being spoon-fed N.T. Wright and, and yeah. had no idea. Um, and so <laughs> I think that my seeds for Anglicanism were placed then and there. And ironically enough, I had no idea I had done this. But uh, during a move, I found some of my seminary uh, notebooks, which oh. were filled with doodles. Yeah. Uh, and, so yeah, cool. <laughs> taker in the world but I, I actually had written in one of my notebooks maybe i'm an anglican and i just don't know it wow could not believe it when i saw that i just yeah. thought whoa this is this is crazy um and so i i really i resonated with the way that he was approaching things but then also hmm. uh, there's a thing within the anglican tradition called the via media uh, the middle way hmm. which is where they approached the uh, the reformation as a way to say we're both we're both Protestant and, and Catholic, and that resonated deeply with me. I, I thought, yeah, I, yeah. I, I identify with that. I don't understand why you would need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And as you look at the Anglican yeah. texts, the Anglicans came out with the thirty-nine articles. Mm -hmm. are, are you clear with the thirty-nine? Yeah. So, so it's this thick. Um, <laughs> and then, and then you look at the Westminster Catechism, where they're rewriting Christian theology. <laughs> yeah. you know the Augsburg Confession. You know, yeah. and, and 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 it, it didn't make sense that you had to rework all of that. Uh, it, it it felt like you you really should tweak this, and that's mm -hmm. really what I think the Anglican Church sits of Cranmer and others who were involved in that were just I think brilliant in in their approach. Yeah. So, so you know I I recognize now those seeds were planted. I didn't really understand what that meant. Um, I was a big fan of Leslie Newbigin. Yeah. And uh, his missiology, and his approach, and his Scottish roots, right? And, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty helpful for me. Uh, it turns out I'm Scots Irish on one side, there so maybe it's part of my problem. <laughs> um, 
but I, I, I really resonated with, with the way that he approached things, maybe not so much in his um, uh, reformed positions, but, but in, in his missiological yeah. kind of outlook. Uh, really made a lot of sense to me. Uh, gospel in a pluralist society uh, was super helpful. But so, so I had I had kind of those twin dialogue partners yeah. through seminary, and as I started um, working uh, full time in ministry, and <coughs> excuse me, so we we started out as a church plant in Rollins, Wyoming, a parachute drop, um, you know, and had had <laughs> had all the experiences that that might entail. Um, and uh, at the end of three years, we, uh, you know, I think I was probably clinically depressed. Hmm. We had had two children, uh, had the highs and lows, all, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I was thinking about working for UPS. Yeah, <laughs> and you, just get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that was all about, but thank you, God, and uh, off we go. And, um, you know, Christ uh, kind of grabbed a hold of me. Um, and, and then I went into, uh, went into youth and associate ministry up in Billings, Montana. I had a great experience there, uh, but really sensed that God was doing more in us. Uh, and, uh, and so he called us to Arizona, which is a whole story in and of itself. Wow. I'm telling, I'm telling you the trajectory of this because, because part of what happened is I got to the end of our time here, uh, as a, as a, an associate slash church planter here in Arizona, and I had seen some pretty difficult things. Um, yeah. Some of the church stories that you you hear about, we we were in the middle of, um, hmm. and, and in some ways, yeah. you know, I, I don't know that we necessarily created those, but we were squarely placed in the middle of them. And it really caused me pause, like, what are we doing? Why are we hmm. doing what we're doing? Uh, so those wrestlings, yeah. uh, based on our own experiences, coupled with this 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 maybe embedded nature of something different really caused me to go back. And so I, I went back and I started rereading, um, you know, Wright and Newbegin. Yeah. I was, I was reading C.S. <clears throat> Lewis. I mean, I, I was reading depictions about the church. Yeah. And, and, and I would, I would read, I would read what it was, <laughs> and then I would look around and think, <laughs> where is that? <laughs> I don't understand. There's kind of a disconnect. Yeah. So uh, long story short, we, we, uh, I wound up presiding over a funeral of a church for about seven months and uh, sold the property to a, an Anglican uh, church who, who was looking. Hmm. They, since they had left the Episcopal church uh, in 2005, this is in 2007, and they are looking for a property. So we are, we're, uh, I was selling that property for the district. And, uh, and so, you know, sold it to these guys and then they, they invited us to come and talk. Um, and you know, I was like, whatever, I don't know. And, and <laughs> thought it was kind of weird, but okay, we'll go and say hi and you know, whatever. Well, we go to the worship service and, uh, my wife's eyes are like this big right? because she, <laughs> She really appreciates um, music. She's a she's a talented musician, and uh, we had been attending a really large evangelical church here in the valley, and the music was pretty on point. Um, and and but that's I will not say anything other than <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so we go to this little tiny Anglican church, and uh, the music was just terrible, um, <laughs> and uh, and the sermon I could not follow this my life I, I i thought where's this guy going and i didn't even know where he wound up uh, and i met i met christ in this in the service and i and i could not figure out what on earth that was i just no idea. yeah 
he shows up in the strangest places, right? <laughs> we have the market cornered on you, Jesus. Yeah. What is this? Uh, you know, and and uh, so hmm. I, I thought, okay, um, either you meet Christ in the sermon or you meet Christ in the music. And neither of those were good or present, uh, but I met you regardless. So yeah. what happened here? So my wife was like, oh, no, she, she had grown up Missouri Synod Lutheran and uh, had experienced an ancient liturgical worship, uh, quite yeah. frankly, that was dead uh, yeah. the, the way that it was done. <laughs> so she wasn't really keen. And, and I said, we have to go back, uh, much to her chagrin. Uh, and we went back the second week, and it was, music was worse. Sermon was, <laughs> it was worse. <laughs> worse. Right. It was. It was. And, I, and I met Christ again. And I thought, there's something. That I don't understand, and I've got to figure out what that is because uh, wow. I'm inquisitive um, by by nature. So I started pressing in because I thought these people know Jesus in a way that I don't. Hmm. And as an evangelical and as an evangelical pastor, we have it all figured out, don't we? Honestly, right. We have, I mean, here's the Here, box. And, yeah, here it is. Here's right? the presentation, and you know, jump in. Yeah. Here's the package, and uh, and this is what you produce, and this is how people will purchase it. Um, yeah. You know, very transactional, and yeah. and what I when I pressed in, I recognized that the the ancient liturgy is actually there's probably six maybe seven places that you can actually interact with Jesus that it's actually designed for that purpose. Yeah, and it's when it's led, <clears throat> in my opinion, when it's led properly, um, people are invited to actually encounter Christ. Yeah, which is what I thought we were supposed to be doing on Sundays in the in the beginning. Yeah. Um. No, we've invited people to our sermon. <laughs> yeah, that's that's part of the problem. We we invite them to gather around a sermon rather than around the presence. And, right. You know. Yeah. Right. And that's of course, so good. The presence is found in our sermons, right? Right. Um, yeah. No question about that. Yeah. So, I I uh, there was a guy named Rick Mann. Did you know Rick? Oh yeah uh, yeah yeah yeah. Rick uh, Rick used to say, um, the best batters in baseball hit four out of ten. That's four hundred. Mm-hmm. He said, so if I do four sermons out of ten that are that, you know, that are good, he says, I'm doing really You're good. elite. You're among the elite. Yeah. <laughs> that's Hall of Fame stuff there. Hey, that's a freeing statement right there. <laughs> yeah, people really have no idea the stress and the pressure that pastors are under, you know, every week to hit something out of the park uh, because people can just log on to YouTube and get the world's best at a moment. And, you know, so why would I go to church and listen to this guy? It's like, man, the, yeah, the stress and the pressure is hard on that. Yeah, that's a very real, uh, and it's only amplified now. I mean, you, you know, yeah. I, why would I listen to you when? You yeah. know? And, and I would say, what I what I say to that is, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to encounter Christ, you, you, you might want to gather with his people around his table. Exactly. And, and I feel, I don't know who said it, but that was one of the uh, uh, negative aspects of the Reformation was, you know, pre-Reformation, um, really, they did gather around Eucharist, right? Yeah. So a body blood of Christ. We yep. had a homily. You had church tradition. Most people were illiterate. They, they really didn't gather around Bible studies or they weren't into verse-by-verse inductive, you know, kind of sermons. Um, with the Reformation and uh, looking at everything that happened, getting the Word of God into people's hands, you know, we've got Gutenberg hits the scene, now the Bible's in German, now we have this movement towards everyone reading it. It created a need or 
it created a new commodity and that were people who could preach well and teach well. And so the movement was away from Eucharist and it was around now the sermon. So as a byproduct, uh, we now, you know, 500 years later, as we head into our next reformation, um, we, it was, we're, we're feeling the fruit of that and that, well, if your sermon's not good, well, I'm going to go somewhere else or we're not going to go anymore because we've lost community. Yep. And, and I, I think that's really the, the job of Eucharist and worship and prayers and interactions and word. All of those should be done in a way that people are encountering the presence of Jesus in the midst of a really broken group of people trying to figure their way through. So I, I have hope that that's what the Spirit's doing next for yeah. us, is bringing us, let's stop gathering around a sermon and let's gather around the presence because that's what will change people's lives. I, can't, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I think that, you know, the, the net that I wasn't there when the Reformation started, uh, so I can imagine the pain mm. and the, the need the desire to swing as far away as you could yeah. from the church, but in doing so, um, so much was lost. Yeah. I think I think when you start asking questions around, well, uh, at the table is this transubstantiation, the consubstantiation, is yeah. real presence? What what is the thing? Yeah. That that when the reformers felt the need to parse every single thing to try to make sure that it made absolute sense, that somehow mystery is Mis- not, yeah mystery uh, lost out. It's completely lost, and, I, and, and I'm really comfortable with with beauty and mystery, and, yeah. and not really understanding. Um, I can have an explanation, but I can't say that I grasp it all the time. Yeah, for me, for me, that's so freeing, and I love being a part of a tradition where you know those kinds of experiences and those kinds of questions are really welcomed, and and, and being able to just kind of say, "Well, I'm not really yeah. sure." some of this stuff and but it's okay yeah well you're uh you know the anglican tradition that you're in now i mean uh in some ways it's gotten a bad rap because most people with limited knowledge think oh it happened because you know henry uh henry who was supposed to be the theologian of the family decided you know he had some some women issues and so he ends up you know disconnecting starts his own church and it was like uh there's uh, wow that that really misses the beauty that has come out of uh really a, a reformation of its own i mean i look at four different types of reformations i think the first reformation happened with Francis of Assisi. Man, he led a reform within the church uh, that is still having impact today. And obviously, we, have, we see what happened with Calvin. We see what happened with Luther. But there was a substantive uh, change and, hel- and healthy theology that, that came out of the Church of England, the yeah. Anglican Church. And I mean, you know, you look at some of the names. I wrote down just a few, you know, obviously N.T. Wright, who, you know, both you and I would say is a primary former. Of, of much of our theology, but you got Lewis, you've got Packer, J.I. Packer, John Stott, who had a huge, uh, a huge impression upon me, even Desmond Tutu. Uh, you know, you look at some of these people, you mentioned Leslie Newbigin, but we have us such great wealth of theologians. Then if you go all the way back, you've got Cranmer. Say, you know. And that's just the modern guy. That's the modern guy. Yeah. Those yeah. are the those are the modern guys. And it's a it's a great, great tradition. So I'm really uh, happy uh, that you are are in that tribe and, and that you're bringing that to more and more and more people. So good yeah. on you for that. Thank you so much. I, I think it's important. I, I really do. I think 
I think uh, people need to understand better. And I, I do, I mean, again, uh, it kind of tweaks my historical um, sensibilities. Uh, people forget about Wycliffe dying in 1350, 150 years before, yeah. before Henry, you know, trying to reform in England. So, in so, so that by the time Henry does what Henry does, that that kettle had been brewing for some time. For, absolutely, so, yeah. So the, 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 the theologians and the thinkers in England probably in my opinion, it was kind of like, man, this isn't the way we would want to do this, yeah. but since it's happening, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, and and so when people want to make it just about Henry and his loins or something, I I, I, I cringe because I think, well, yeah, that is a really weak read of history. Yeah. Uh, is it part, but that's just kind of lazy. There was way more happening. So Yeah. And we don't probably have time to get into this, maybe another podcast, but, you know, 500 years ago, we had this reformation of justification was really the heartbeat of that of really understanding how are we justified in christ 500 years later as god's doing another movement you know every 500 years we see these spiritual these spiritual movements globally throughout history um you know we're in that next 500 year i sense it's a, a reformation of sanctification of understanding a, again the role and the power of holy spirit yeah. In, the, in the church, not just the letter of the law, you know, that we can read the book and understand theology and doctrine, but it's the spirit-empowered law living within us is actually is the new covenant. And I think this has been brewing since, well, really since our, our, my tribe, the CNMA, launched. We yep. have the holiness movement, you know, the social justice movement. You have the Keswick revival. You have Azusa Street. We have been seeing these Holy Spirit stirrings. And uh, for, you know, well over 100 plus years. And right. I, I feel that's where we're heading right now. Yeah, no question. I, I You know, in part of the Anglican tradition that I'm in, uh, the East African revival. Yes, and, you know, yeah. So, so even, you know, some of the things that you were talking about are, are North American, but for sure yeah. that's happening around the globe. Yeah. Um, so And, and what's, <laughs> what's funny is, you know, you, you still have your first uh, four spiritual laws. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have the book that actually made the difference for me was the little blue booklet, which was the Holy Spirit booklet. Uh. Uh, and and uh, so once I understood uh. the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian, it was it was over. Um, yeah. So, so I, I, I uh, it's interesting that you phrase it that way, that you say it's a, it's a, a reformation of sanctification versus uh, justification. I, I do think that been so maybe head centric that, that this piece is missing for so many people. And, and because there's this kind of disconnect around, well, I don't look at it this way or I don't look at it that way. And yet Christ is still present and Christ is yes. still a birth. Yeah. Um, so I think you, I really do think you have your finger on something there. Yeah. So, and uh, it's a fun time to, to be, you know, in, in the church with what the Holy Spirit's doing today too. But uh, so let me transition into, you know, into your book because w one, when I saw your, I got to tell you, when I saw your cover, the pre-cover, I was like, I cannot wait to get that book. <laughs> the cover is just awesome on this book. And I, I was reading some of the reviews uh, on your on your book, not my not my Jesus, yeah. and uh, like um, well, yeah, actually, you have some great reviews. Is it? Yeah. Know, one person wrote, "This is one of the most relevant books I've read in the last few years." Yeah. Kicks off by illustrating how we try to make God uh, in our image instead of accepting the fact that we are made in His image, um, which is really really good. 
Uh, one other one here. Uh, this was good. Funny and wise. Regardless of your beliefs or background, not my Jesus will doubtless make you laugh, give you a lot to think about in terms of love and life in our rapidly changing culture, which is true. If you're not a Christian, it'll probably make you want to take another look at who this Jesus dude is <laughs> and how he taught his followers to behave towards others. Hint. It's a lot different than the way most self-described Christians actually behave, mm. which I would just say, a you know, big amen to that. Yeah, I gave like twenty dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. He's a, you're a unique voice in contemporary nonfiction. Bob gives you a lot to think about in a short book. There's some pretty profound stuff here, but his writing style is so easygoing and companionable. It makes you feel like you're just hanging with them at a coffee shop, talking about life. And I would agree. I love that about the way that your your book reads. Um, there was this one here, I just, I just kind of laughed. This person writes, if I were uptight and religious, I would immediately be put off by the cover alone. <laughs> However, I'm spiritual. So I was intrigued, Bob drew me in, entertained and expanded my understanding of Jesus, a rare read that needs to be shared. Yeah, I, did you get kickback? Bob, oh, yeah. on your what, what did you hear about your cover? Well, what's funny is I um, the cover designer. First of all, we we our conversations first started uh, because I gave Jesus a Twitter account. The covers that came back were were Twitter covers, and I was like, "Well, it's not really that. I'm trying to get at something else." And uh, and so I was like, "Well, what about a picture of Jesus?" You know, and uh, and that's when the ball started rolling. Started. So. So we had pictures of him with sunglasses, and and I was, I, I, I you know, I, I had thought about ways that we could go way further than we yeah. did, and it was like, no, rate it back, rate it back, um, and and really, I, what happens for me is that people, uh, they 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 see it, they just automatically assume one that I'm in a different camp mm. than they are, whatever camp that may or may not be, yeah, um, but then two, um there's there's a response you know there's a visceral thing that happens and i think i think good uh yeah. i want yeah. you to feel that because really we need to talk about who you think jesus is yeah and and importantly like who he isn't uh that's critical yeah and so so even within the organization that i'm a part of uh, music serving the word ministries um we, we just a, these people are beautiful uh delightful uh, spirit-filled i'm uh, so grateful to be with them and and we had some we had some pretty good conversations around this cover because yeah. people were people were feeling like wait um, help us get this <clears throat> help us get this yeah <clears throat> yeah and it really I think I think is a I think what it came down to was a pretty good caricature of how our world looks at who Jesus is yeah absolutely yeah. Um, you know you know as we as we start to dig in uh, you know I I think a, a book uh, a, you know <laughs> birthing a book is like birthing a baby of course i'm a guy so i probably can't carry that <laughs> metaphor too far but it's like there's something that's waiting to be born i think it's painful and when you do birth a book you put it out for the world to see and then you have all these people come and say how ugly your baby is or how beautiful your baby <laughs> is and you know then there, there's all everyone's got an opinion on everything but i really feel like a, a for those who do get to a blog post or writing, there's a burden inside that needs to be birthed that's coming from a message that they long to share. What would you say with uh, Not My Jesus? What, you know, what's the why for you on why this book? Why did you birth this one? 
I, uh, that's honestly, I really appreciate the way you frame that because I, <clears throat> I honestly tried not to write it. I would blog <laughs> occasionally and I would just kind of write about what I was seeing and I would say, this doesn't really make sense to me. Or I'd watch this and go, man, that doesn't appear to represent what I'm hoping that Christ is talking about. And so I would have this um, pretty significant disconnect between <laughs> culture, between Christian culture. Like I, I would just watch it happen, and I would think, man, and it was uh, on, uh, last March, not March of 2008, but March of 2017, uh, not 2018, 2017. And, and uh, I just, I, I knew I, I have to get <laughs> this. Uh, and it really was, um, I mean, people can say what they want about being spirit-led and, and, uh, and that, that, that's something that God wanted me to do. And, and I really had a sense of that. So I was like, okay, I, I want to try to be obedient. So I put my nose down and started going. And I think what it is, is that I, I'm watching our culture and I'm watching Christians in our culture orient to our culture mm-hmm. instead of orient to Christ. Yeah. So, so they're watching things change around them and they're having these debates and they're having these discussions and there's a ton of fear and there's a ton of um, animosity and division and all of those things occurring. And I'm thinking to myself, that's really, I, I, think, I think we're out of our lane here. That's, I don't think that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And of course, the, um, the prayer and Talladega Nights. <laughs> which is... Which I gotta tell you, that was so awesome just to read the interaction again of the baby Jesus prayer. That's so funny. Well, well, honestly, when I saw it, I I was like, that is just genius. I mean, genius. And I I have used it in sermons. Yeah. uh, And and I I just thought, this is is actually what we're doing. Um, Everybody has a version of Jesus that they like. And so I I really started thinking that through a little bit. And and even since having the book come out, you know, other people have told me about their other versions of Jesus, which, of course, you know, more than what I I covered in the book. I think you're so right. You you know, you write just right off the bat in your book that we like to make people in uh, into our own image. And then you move towards cultures have a way of shaping historical figures into who they want them to be. Which yeah. is, you know, really, I think, the heartbeat of this book, trying to free Jesus from cultural confines. And uh, you cover, uh, again, a great number of caricatures. But uh, I, I, I agree with you, Bob. I feel, I feel maybe even part of the pastor's role, more than anything, is to help free people from their pre-understandings or their presuppositions or their preconceptions of who God is. Yeah. Uh, because we do tend to make then God in our own image. Yeah. And so that God can never change you or give you the life that you are, are longing for. And so that's the other piece for me um, that really spoke uh, out of the book and that I, I long to see. Everyone's trying to claim Jesus as their own. You know, we've got the neo-reforms. No, Jesus is this. We've got the uh, American evangelical patriotic uh, Jesus. You know, we've, you know, it's just... Everything gets so me-centric that uh, Jesus is trapped in a book or trapped in a picture, and he doesn't get to uh, enter the soul. And yeah, or some weird ideology. Yeah, I'm, yeah I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think part of the huh. part of the challenge for us is 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 to is to actually historically like look at what he did. And when he, I, I mean, I started so I picked Matthew because Matthew, the Jewishness of the yeah. Of Matthew, but when I 
I started realizing how much Jesus pushed back on that stuff when he was invited into those conversations, whether it be about marriage or whether it be about taxes or whatever. <laughs> People were trying to grab him and say, be on my side. See, he's on this side of the Hillel Shammai debate or he's doing this. And yeah. Jesus consistently walked past those things. Yeah, you know, It was kind of like, that's not what I'm about. Um, and I, I, I suppose I exposed myself in terms of my... Uh, um, kind of Christus Victor sense. Okay, where it, Jesus actually taking on, you know, he's not he's not dealing with your personal little sin. He's taking on hell, sin, and death. Yeah, he's, he's laying them to waste. So, so your idea about, well, do you agree with me about taxes? <laughs> yeah. What should we do at the border? What? <laughs> yeah, we yeah we try to make him the poster boy for everything. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, and then on the book cover, I have the the Republican and Democratic yeah. flag, you know, because I see that's that's what happens. The Democrats want to say, well, Jesus was social justice, or what I don't, you know, whatever voice they would want to use, and the Republicans would say, oh, Jesus was, you know, whatever voice. And I, I just think, man, I'm pretty sure, based on what he did in the past, he would walk past these things because there's something way more important at stake. Well, yeah, absolutely, and yeah, and every time we try to just make him our poster boy, um, then you lose the kingdom. Yeah. Um, then you're making you're making this earth or your ideology, your ism, whatever it is that you think Jesus is the supporter of, you're making that the kingdom rather than the the kingdom. I think that's why Jesus could move so easily in those conversations and say, "Yeah, pay Caesar what Caesar. You should probably obey the laws of the land. You're, you're going to live longer. Why? Because we're about a different kingdom." Right. And yeah, yeah, that yeah. There's there's so much even right there that yeah. uh, on the from the political to the to the religious, you know, every tribe's claiming, you know, and we've got Jesus, and and it it really makes it hard today. And I think yeah. the world is just kind of tired of it. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> so you just said we've got Jesus. It reminds <laughs> me of being in 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 high school <laughs> and the opposing sides of the we've yeah, got, got Jesus. Jesus. Dude, we've got Jesus. How about you? We've got, you know, yeah. and, 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 and if if I'm outside of Christian Christianity and I'm watching that happen, yeah. I, it's revolting. I, I just think, what is yeah. what is this? This has nothing to do with what I would hope that Christianity is about. And if if we are not embodying uh, the kingdom of God right here, right now, yeah. Then and and amongst ourselves. Yeah. So so I was it was a, it was a I think it was a Galatians passage I was reading you know about hey you know what if you're not loving each other you're gonna devour one another and, yeah. and I, oh my word uh, this is prophetic we cannot keep doing this yeah the world is watching yeah and they're, and they're opting out they're, I, I mean and, and they are they're opting yeah, out why, why would you want to be a part of that tribe <laughs> those people are crazy you know yeah yeah no kidding you know and. Uh, as you, as you uh, look at this, uh, you have some great quotes at the end of the book too, but uh, you had a couple quotes from Brandon Manning. Mm. And um, as I was reading your quotes on love at the end of the book uh, on Brandon's quotes, I, I pulled one one more quote for you. Um, but uh, there's, um, I would say the heartbeat for me, Brandon was really instrumental in my life. Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity to uh, to bring him out to the church I pastor and and spend time uh, with Brandon. And um, you know, one of the greatest gifts I think that Brandon brought me particularly was helping me heal my image of God. And he said, you know, until you can't have a healed you until you have a healed image of God. And that's, he's, he really felt that was the role of grace. 
to help us, you know, we've got this, we've, well, we've created God in our own image, which is really where you start the book. So freeing people from, well, that's really not my Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's really not who he is. That's maybe the way you were brought up. And you talk about some of the story of your dad's faith journey, which was amazing um, from from Catholic to, I think you said levels of Mormonism to maybe checking out the satanic side of things until he really met Jesus. But yeah, um, you have an image of God because of what we've experienced here. And most of our, well, our, all of our images of God are incomplete. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah. And I think I said, I, I, um, I think I talk about how uh, unless we have a perspective of Jesus that includes his messianic function, that, that we have a, it, it's like looking through a keyhole. You, yeah. you cannot possibly see the whole picture. And honestly, that's why I made such a huge point of trying to trying to help people to see that Jesus was judgmental. In this <laughs> yeah. Because most people, their frame of reference is Jesus was really nice and Jesus was loving. And Jesus, you know, and I, I, I keep thinking to myself, you know, I'm not sure I'd want to be around the guy because <laughs> probably really feel comfortable calling me out on just about everything yeah uh and 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 so it's like we these pictures are incomplete yeah and and they're honestly they're not going to be helpful in terms of us framing our reference for our lives around him if it's just our version of it yeah well you give you give just some of your depictions yeah, I'll read through these quickly. But you have the the baby, the baby Jesus, or the Christmas Jesus. Is that your Jesus, or the northern the northern European Jesus? Uh, and you said in there, I underlined. I loved this. His selfies, uh, his selfie. Uh, excuse me. Uh, he he looked longingly and thoughtfully up to the heavens for his selfies, and was always calm. His six yeah. foot plus frame was firm, but not too muscular. It isn't too far fetched to think of Jesus as a Viking, just <laughs> just nicer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the Santa Claus Jesus, uh, the nice guy Jesus, and I think that's probably one of the bigger ones that we deal with in our culture today. Um, the genie Jesus, the cosmic cop Jesus, which is kind of like the Santa Claus Jesus, he sees bit, you yeah. when you're sleeping, which is kind of creepy. Yeah, um, the rendezvous, I learned about the word rendezvous. I did, had no idea. <laughs> that, would be, that would be the uh, history major in me, sorry. <laughs> for, for trappers, that was We're awesome. going to barter our way through our life with Christ, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the divine Jesus, um, you know, and I think that that's a book mm. probably in and of itself. You, 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 know, the, you write the image of Jesus never used the bathroom. He never yep. passed gas. He never burped, never had a bad hair day. He never had sleep in his eyes or a kink in his neck. His feet never hurt and his back never ached. He didn't have to fight off sexual temptation because he had no genitals. <laughs> Jesus was an angel. He was a different being altogether. Um, we run in, this is, I think one of the biggest areas that we need to fix theologically in the church world is, you know, what, what, what we see with the the hypostatic union of a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man is both are, are not, you can't separate those two natures. And so, and, and for Jesus to lead us, we need that human Jesus because he's saying, follow me. Live a spirit-filled, surrendered life to the Holy Spirit to do what the Father is telling you to do the way I am, because he 
you know, he surrenders his his rights of divinity, but not his nature of divinity. And uh, but it takes a divine a divine Christ to offer us this new kingdom uh, yeah. and to welcome us into it. And so I think that one is so important um, for us too. So I I really uh, I enjoyed all of these pictures, <laughs> the interplanetary Jesus and and the mythological Jesus. And I I, I don't know if you are encountering this, but probably the Jesus that's giving us the biggest black eye today is the Westboro Baptist uh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hated uh, writing about that at yeah. the same time I knew I had to. Um, you know, and uh, in trying to address that, I I want to be fair as much as I'm possible. Yeah. I want to be fair. I know that I know that I know that, that, that those folks really are, they believe that that's what it means to be faithful to the scriptures and faithful to Christ. Yeah. And to that end, I want to say, I want to say, I understand. Mm. Um, I am trying to be faithful to the scriptures and to Jesus as well. Mm. Uh, but I, I think that they are as far off the mark as anyone yeah. um, when it comes to what that means. And uh, so it's heartbreaking. Yeah, you, you had mentioned something that I, I, I thought, wow, that was well put from or great of you to point out but you you just had mentioned under this one that countless souls have been wounded by this particular depiction of god the god that hates everybody really um these people don't care because you know their version of jesus is right and i think that's the problem with every different view whether it's nice guy jesus santa claus jesus baby jesus everyone believes their view is the right and only true biblical view and that's a conversation right there but you wrote you wrote there's this ticker on their website that reads hash or a quote nanoseconds of sleep that wbc members lose over your opinions and your feelings zero yeah it's like wow yeah yeah so you read something like that and you just wonder how have you meditated on the gospels all of the gospel message of christ um, how do you get there, you know, from reading that about Jesus? But however, you don't let us off even that easy because, you know, well, your chapter on Jesus tweets, so you have, you know, you know, Jesus wisdom, you know, in 140 characters, you know, or less, uh, that really was thought provoking. And then, um, and then you, and you're moving us, I feel, you can correct me, you're moving us from, okay, we've all got these images of who Jesus is and they're wrong. So now let's start to find some freedom from there. Here's some things that, that, that Jesus said <laughs> that yeah. might not fit because the Jesus tweets hits all of those various idi- right. you know, ideas of Jesus differently. Right. And then you're moving towards the judgmental Jesus. And I was wondering at first, I go, huh, I where he's going with that great chapter. Because yeah. we don't think of Jesus as judgmental at all. I think that's a Western concept in many ways. But you're moving us towards this ultimate ethic of love by the end of the book, which is just a beautiful trajectory. Yeah. Um, under in, in Jesus tweets, did you have any of those which were your favorite, or or well, what, I think what were you funny. hoping? I'm, I don't know. If that, but I so part of the thing that I, I this is honestly part of what, um, and I want to say this. Um, all of the pictures are incomplete yes. when it comes to who we think God is. So, so I don't want to say wrong as much as I want to say incomplete. And and the I think 
a big part of the missing piece is the messianic, very clearly judgmental Jesus. So when I say judgmental, I mean he has every right Bingo. because of who he is yeah. to be that guy. So, yeah. so not in the not in the way that um, is some kind of clickbaity kind of weird way. But so when Jesus calls a woman a dog, yeah, I mean, does your Jesus have? Is he is he the kind of guy who would call somebody a dog? Right. And if not, if he's not, then, then, then what what do you do with that? What do you do with that? And yeah. so so so, <clears throat> I guess I guess my what I did I literally went through the Gospel of Matthew and I found all the names that Jesus called people. Yeah, and that's what those tweets are yeah. because he called people names and and people don't think of Jesus that way or or the way they want to say it is well. Yeah, those Pharisees, they really deserved it. And, and stick it to those guys, Jesus. Wait, good on you. You know, yeah. and, and that feels great until he does it to you. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then you, you're left with, wait, Jesus didn't make me feel good. And yeah. you go, well, right. He, that's not his role. Yeah. Uh, that's not his job. So when I thought about it, I thought, well, obviously Twitter is doing what Twitter is doing. Uh, I think it's, oh, it's been hijacked. Uh, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that's way to think about Twitter at this point. But but I thought I thought you know so much of our culture is in that vein. Mm-hmm. Here's a, here's a maybe an easier way to make this medicine go down. Yeah, and and the medicine is that that Jesus was judgmental. Yeah. So how how do, we, how do we how do we cope with that? And I so you know I try to be humorous and and uh, I when you ask me my favorite ones, I'm always thinking about the ones that. You know, I kind of chuckled when I wrote, yeah. you know, I, I shake my dusty feet in your direction. <laughs> in your direction. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of yeah. Honey Python, but, you know. Yeah, I, it works, though. Self-laugh, yeah. No, but I thought those were uh, really great reminders of Jesus is inviting us into this very different life. Mm. And um, it's it is important to embrace that. Some of the arguments I hear today are along the lines of, "Okay, do we have to follow the Old Testament law, or did Jesus did Jesus you know obliterate the law? So now I just you know I just love. He just says love God and love my neighbor. And it's like, well, if you understood what that takes, you'd realize why he said it's going to require everything it's and require your death. And, yeah. and Jesus, you know, um, it. it <laughs> To follow Jesus' teaching, he raises the bar on the law, actually. You know, so you thought the law was tough? Jesus says, you know, be holy because I am holy. And like, and you point out, well, it's like um, on dealing with adultery. Yeah, so if you look lustfully at another woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. So as we look at Jesus, and particularly the new law really revealed in the Sermon on the Mount in a way, he's going... I'm I'm actually ramping it up so that we all realize that the grace that he's about to bring is the greatest equalizer of all. Yeah. And uh and so he, in many in many ways he's invited you into a higher bar calling of living yet he's the one within you to help you move in that direction. He doesn't right. leave you alone to try to work out the law. He <laughs> infuses you um, to be a, a whole new Exodus person. Well, and, the, and that the law, the, the law was just meant to be a guidepost to get you somewhere, not yeah. to be the destination. And when, 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 when the law becomes the destination, then we're, we're, we're really in trouble because then, well, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Right. Well, 
but you're not being who you're supposed, supposed to, to be. be. Yeah. And, and, and for me, I get, uh, I get really uncomfortable when people want to say, well, we can just do away with, you know, the old Testament. And I think, uh, wait, um, without the signs, we don't get to the destination. And there's something about following signs that, that actually creates in us as we journey, uh, Christ likeness, yeah. you know, so, yeah, I would I would agree with you, Adam. I'm not comfortable with that. Yeah, well, and I th- and I think um, where we're at today, theologians like you know N.T. Wright, who we were talking about earlier, um, they have given us, I think, a way better hermeneutic through the cross of Christ to read all of the Old Testament. Uh, you know, if Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, that if He becomes our hermeneutical lens. A lot of people who don't want to read the Old Testament because of, you know it does seem dark, barbaric, and all these yep. things. You know, maybe we're misunderstanding what the narrator was trying to show us, rather than just aligning, trying to create a just war theory out of Old Testament passages. Maybe if we have a, a Christocentric way to read the text to say, "Wow, how is Jesus embedded here?" Right. Where. What's the trajectory that we're he's taking us for? Because God's always you know a couple clicks ahead of us, you know. <laughs> but uh, I I think that's another thing that you've done really masterfully in the book. Where I really hope people will 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 see that is that you do show that Jesus has the right to judge because of who he is. But on uh, page sixty one, you you wrote this. Uh, you said this is why Jesus judged. He didn't do it to be a jerk. He did it to make, or he didn't do it to make people feel bad. He didn't do it to prove how right he was. He didn't do it to show people how smart he was or that he could win some argument. Jesus judged to free people. That, that's like boom right there. He judged to free people. Tell me about that. Well, I think that we have to be confronted with our behavior, thoughts, or actions, um, mm-hmm. and. And the only way that that happens sometimes is is by the uh, that thou art the man moment that, that uh, yeah. the prophet brought to David, or or by by having a, a mirror placed in front of us and and taking a good hard look and saying, "Tell me about your motivation. Tell yeah. me tell me about tell me about what's going on in your heart. What are you thinking when?" And I think um, if if Jesus. You, you, you know, people, you know, say, well, what, you know, what would you do if Jesus were sitting here? And I'm like, oh, man, um, that guy knows everything about me, everything. And he loves me best. Yeah. I don't know what I would do. I, I, I would be paralyzed, uh, you know, in so many ways because... I'm undone in his presence. There's no pretending. There's no, there's none of those things going on. So when he's present, there's no false, there's, there's no hiding. There's no, there's no, uh, puffing up. There's nothing. And when Jesus brought judgment to people, i.e. you're a brood of vipers. <laughs> um, you, 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 you know, the, the idea is that if I can recognize the fact that I actually am, a, a poisonous viper. Well, then I can change. Yeah, I can, right. can actually go. Whoa! I I see what you're saying. I don't want to be that. And it gives us an opportunity to be different than maybe we 
we would have been. And so, so when, like I said, when Jesus references the gal and, and she says, he says, Hey, you know, um, uh, this isn't meant for dogs. Yeah. And she's well, but even a dog can eat scraps. She recognizes, Hey, I'm not in the, I'm not in the people of God. I want to be a yes. part of God and Jesus was like bingo yeah like, absolutely you're there you get it but it's it's in that identification of the fact that that Christ one he has the right to do that but then mm. two his judgments are correct yeah and three, three they actually give me the freedom to go yeah I want to I, I lay down all this other stuff I don't want to pretend anymore yeah. I, I try to hide I don't want to run I don't want to be afraid that's very free yeah and 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 that's what it's for yeah, I think that you know in that story that you you tweet about and the the Syrophoenician woman that Jesus encounters. I mean that that's such a, a an amazing story. And when you do read it, you just have to say, "Wow, Jesus is cold." Here's this woman from Samaria, right? She comes, her daughter's dying, and uh, she hears the healer, potential Messiah in Israel, Jesus uh, is 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 around. She finds him. And, you know, I mean, that whole story, like the disciples are like, hey, he wants to get rid of her, (laughs) you know, and he's just cold. She implores him. And at first he doesn't even respond. Yeah, He just, is that the Jesus, you know, it's like, Jesus, could you help me? He's like, nothing. She keeps imploring. So the disciples go, gosh, I know she's annoying Jesus. Would you like us to get rid of her? And he still doesn't respond. And then finally, when he does respond, you're like, oh, he's going to turn. And we're going to see this amazing graciousness flow towards this woman. You know, and he's like, yeah, why would I, why why would I give the dogs the children's bread? In In other words, children's bread of healing for God's covenant people, you know, now our brain should hyperlink, right? To give us this day our daily bread. If we're part of the family, there's daily bread we can expect. Jesus is hyperlinking that to healing. Part of the covenant family is this shalom. And um, all the benefits of being God's covenant. All the benefits. And then then she, uh, yeah, that movement from, yeah, I'm outside of the family. She's a Samaritan. She's not in the family yet. Uh, He he says, you know, I was also only sent for the the lost sheep of Israel, right? He's got that. I'm here for Israel, not for you. You're outside. So what he's doing is through those judgments is helping her realize there's this new Israel (laughs) in a way. And for her to say, I, I, I believe. And so her, even her language moves from, I think, uh, you know, son of David title to the end it's Lord. And she's, she moves from this posture of, are you someone that can give me what I need to you are someone that I should kneel before and worship. So she becomes a part of the family, but she doesn't become a part of the family without understanding who she was before that. Right. And so, yeah, the judgment of Jesus seemed cold and hard, but it led her into the kingdom, which was grace and healing and life. And, and uh, that's, a, I think, a beautiful example of that side of Jesus, which often in America we want to, um, we want yeah. to eliminate. That's right. Yeah, he's yep. just he's just my buddy. I he's, think when you neuter Jesus like that, yeah. there is no gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, some other areas and I got just a couple more quotes too. Um, and and again, just thanks for talking. I mean, uh, this I love theological conversations anyway. But um, you know, you are you also move uh, in in a couple other areas uh, just talking about I feel like when we are able to lose our judgments Mm-hmm. towards people and we can just love 
uh, people for who they are, regardless of where they're at on any ism or spectrum. Yep. Um, I think that's when we finally get to see healing channel through God's people uh, to everyone. And you, you had mentioned that this, uh, that when people cry out, why doesn't God do something? Talking about evil in the world, which honestly I still think is one of the biggest deterrents from people I run into in coffee shops about becoming a follower of Jesus. Is like, if God's real, uh, then why isn't He doing anything? You know, this world is a mess. How how could he have, how could he have allowed all of this darkness, evil, brutality? That's still big today. Yeah. Uh, and so you write when people cry out, "Why doesn't God do something?" Uh, they're going to have an answer because His people are so busy living out their faith. When we're finally doing this, Jesus knows exactly what it's needed. He knows the prescription for a broken world. It's you. It's Christ at work in you. The Holy Spirit-infused work of God, people, is his prescription for the ills of the world. And I just kind of wrote in my margins, yes. Uh, <laughs> like, yes, with like three exclamation points there. I, I agree. So how do, you, how do we get there, Bob? <laughs> how how well, does that happen? Yeah. Honestly, that's, that's a, that is the million-dollar question. Yeah. I think first is to, to receive what God has for us. Yeah. Um, and, and frankly, uh, you know, you wrote about that in Sacred Space. Um, if we don't first receive the grace and mercy of God for ourselves, there's no way we give it away. Yeah. And I think, I think Christians are notoriously bad at actually receiving grace. Yeah. We still want to pay for it. We still want to earn it. We still yeah. want so much. And, and, and as such, then, we, we are people who, who've embraced a half-truth about who God is and who we are, yeah. and then share a quarter-truth uh, to the world by way of our actions. We, you know, it, it, it reduces mathematically uh, going forward, and, and I'm, I'm not yeah. a math. But I, I recognize that unless Christians take really seriously the admonition to, hey, come to me, all you who are weary and yeah. heavy, I will give you rest. Yeah. Like, I, I promise that I'm with you and that that actually matters, that it, that it, it, it plays a role in your daily life. Yeah. And, and that when Christians don't practice that, yeah. when that's not part of our uh, ethos, what do we offer the world other than kind of this weird divine self-help guy? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, I look at that and I think, no, um, the Holy Spirit-infused lives of Christians are transformative yeah. and full and and incredibly meaningful and i i look and again because i've you know spent time overseas you have to i i can see it right. more clearly because the culture is not so um i agree i so wholeheartedly agree but but I, I will see it and i and i'm like oh my goodness that that is what christ means yeah in and of his people so yeah. so so i think i think you, we talked about it earlier um and maybe it's kind of a, uh, a leftover from the Reformation, but I, I, there's a quote, um, and I said, look, you know, the, the Christians have been so worried about being right that we've forgotten to be beautiful. Oh, yeah. Oh, will, I, you say, will you say that one more time? Because that, that is gold. Yeah, Christians have, have been so worried about being right that they've forgotten to be beautiful. Yeah. And I think, I think man, you know what? Uh, the world needs beauty. I, I go back to the... Uh, um, Dostoevsky, I believe, you know, it says beauty will save the, uh, the yeah. world. 
and, and that meaning meaning a, a Christian you know Christ centered beauty where where who Jesus is and wh- what he does and how he functions actually mm-hmm. is produced in the world and I think man man that's irresistible <laughs> yeah I, I think I think people would run to that yeah. if they actually thought that that the church was a place for that and so I look at the church capital C like a hospital all of us are in various degrees of healing yeah. We're, we're, we're all of us are broken. There's, there's, we're, we're being put back together. Um, some people are in the hospital for different reasons than others, and some yeah. people don't know they're not, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But the, what it comes to is, is that we have to actually receive from God what He is offering, yeah. and and actually practice receiving that, yeah. so so that then we can be who God has called us to be uh, in the world. Yeah. And so that's the very first step. And I think, <coughs> excuse me, when, when I read books like what you wrote uh, that, that are actually practical how-to uh, steps of receiving from God and being present to God and allowing Him to be fully present in us by His Spirit, yeah. that we actually have an opportunity to, to be something that the world is actually looking for. Looking for. I, yeah, I agree. And, uh, and I think, you know, what you've been able to do with this book of kind of de-scaffolding all the false images around Jesus or all the, the myriad of images which are true but isolated um, mm-hmm. from the other piece is so helpful. Um, towards the end of your book, one of your stories, which, um, uh, which is a powerful one, you were talking about John the Baptist you know, John the Baptist and his encounter with Jesus. And I was, uh, I, I uh, scribbled some notes down in the, in the corner there. You know, here's John the Baptist who knows Jesus when he's still in his mother's womb. He leaps, right? You know, they, when, the, when Mary and, you know, and his mom come together. And then he's the identifier of Messiah. Uh, the Holy Spirit, when he knew when the Holy Spirit fell and remained and the voice spoke and, and John is sure he moves towards a, a position of humility with, with who Jesus is. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. And then it's not too far into the story when John's put in prison and he sends his disciples to Jesus to say, are you really the one? Yeah. Or should we expect someone else? And I, I don't know about you. I kind of resonate with that too, because um, he knew, you know, yeah. and he's the Elijah that was to come. Jesus says, "If you would, if you would believe this." And and it's the statement that Jesus makes to John. It's twofold. He tells his John's disciples, "Go back to John and tell him what the blind see, the lame walk." Right? Yep. All the things. Yep. John knew that though. John knew all of that. That none of that was news to John. It's the last line that I think is a freeing line, and, and, and he said, "Blessed is the one who doesn't fall away on account of me." Yeah. In many ways, that line is your book. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not going to do things the way you want me to do them. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to fit into your box your image your view i have a mission i have a purpose i and i'm going to do that he was telling john i'm not i'm not getting you out of jail right this isn't your best life now um (laughs) sorry no this you know this is this is suffering uh for the kingdom now 
this is, you know, there's not, there's not a mantra I can give you. If you say this prayer three times, I'm going to expand your territory. He's like, no, buddy, your road ends here. Right. His words to Peter at the end of the Gospel of John, one day your hands will be bound and they're going to lead you in places where you don't want to go. Blessed is the one who doesn't fall away on account of me. You might want to put me in the I'm just all frilly, fuzzy, nice box, but yeah. I'm the God of the universe revealed right. in human flesh yeah. uh, here to transform your life. Well, and I, I really appreciate you making that connection. Uh, I wouldn't wouldn't have necessarily made that connection. I do think uh, that's pretty strong because part of me is thinking that maybe what John is asking is, is my suffering worth it? Yeah. And, and, and I think, I think people are asking that question for sure. Yeah. And, you know, there are those Christian cliches around, you know, um, around what suffering is and why. You know, well, God will redeem your suffering and things. And and to be fair, I mean, John <laughs> John was calling people names, and he was making a point about how people were behaving yeah. and calling them to account because of Jesus, yeah. literally because because there was one who has come now yeah. and everything has changed, and and calling people to account to that and yeah. and, and repentance uh, to that. And so John's literally suffering because of Jesus, yeah. not because. Not because, um, you know, the people in your Bible study drive a better car than you. And you're right, exactly. Kind of version of that, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think I think that when we have a version of Christ that says, yeah, you will suffer because of me, that that does strip away so many of our yeah. preconceived notions about what he's, who he is and what he allows and why and all of those things. Yeah, and... And that's the Jesus that we need, the Jesus that we can't box, the Jesus that we can't paint, the Jesus that we can't say, here are all the theologies of Jesus. But it is the, it is the radical, uh, ruthless, loving, graceful, merciful, righteous, holy God. And that's, that's who the world needs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, he, you know, the, we have to embody that guy. Yes. That's, that is the whole thing, right? It, it, yeah. it, it's like they're not going to see Jesus anywhere else but us. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I think about the, the passage where uh, Jesus talks about his body and blood, and everybody leaves. Yeah. And he leaves the Are you going to leave too? <laughs> you know, I have a particular way of translating that where it's like, basically, we're screwed, man. Yeah. We've got nowhere else to go. And I, and I think I think that has to be the place where, yeah. where we... We have to come to terms and say, look, do I have anywhere else to turn? Yeah. Because if I do, I'm going to turn there. But if I have nowhere else to go, yeah. then then actually, I, and, and this you know, this reminds me, I heard Erwin McManus speak at the leadership conference uh, this year. And he talked about the fact that he had had cancer, but that he, mm. he really believes that he's already died. That he said yes to Jesus and that, that, that he, his life is, is Christ oh, and that he's already dead. It that's so- good. It was so good. But I think about that, and I think we live like we haven't died already. Yeah. And if we have not died already, then we have so much to lose, quote-unquote, that we were unwilling to then press into Christ or allow Christ to be manifest so fully in us that the world can actually see him. Wow. 
I think when that happens, we mute the message of the gospel, which is which is Jesus is Lord, yeah. and, and th- there is meaning beyond all of the things, including our suffering. Uh, yeah. And so I get I get uh, I get really passionate about yeah. that because when 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 the church gets caught up in this social argument or this political thing or this thing over here, I, I think what we yeah. we lose we lose our credibility. We lose so much. But when when we, and I you know use the quote when we decide that we are going to be the spirit infused people of God then yeah. then things can really they really can be different. Yeah, that's that is good. I, I like that. We live like <laughs> we need to live like we've already died. Yeah, yeah, because we have. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's a shift right there. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm, I have to just put you on pause while I go and ruminate on that thought. From now, <laughs> that was, gee, that that is, man, that is that, honestly, good. honestly, I have wow. his 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 talk at the leadership conference this year. I, I would easily put top five talks I've ever heard in my life. Wow. Um, just absolutely incredible. Um, and w- whether or not you, you you know, was it a proper sermon or was it a talk or what? You Whatever. know, I'm like, look, it was a leadership conference. Yeah, he he absolutely. Yeah, uh, I mean, just brought. It was so so amazing. Well, you know, even Jesus wouldn't pass the uh, the uh, the preaching one hundred and one class today. So <laughs> he didn't structure his his sermons the way. The same, you know, agricultural. <laughs> yeah. You know, consider the bird. Would you stop with the the land stuff, Jesus? You know, yeah, you, you need a you need a better hook, and you didn't exegete anything. Um, <laughs> homiletical big idea i don't get it <laughs> and we have to go and explain it to people afterwards yeah. they've totally missed it and you're not good at this you're not good at this uh, well hey uh i just wanted to hit a couple you move towards love uh all these quotes on love at the end yeah and uh uh from merton so you have a few merton quotes two merton quotes i just uh great that i started one is that the beginning of love is to let those we love be perfectly themselves and not to twist them to fit our own image. Otherwise, we love only the reflection of ourselves we find in them. Wow. Yeah. When I I read that, I, I, yeah, obviously, you know, I put it in the book, but it took me, I mean, I still don't get it. Yeah. Uh, Merton, for me, says things that I, I... I resonate deeply with, I really believe, uh, but I still have to chew really deeply on. Uh, so I'm really grateful for, yeah. for yeah. Profound, yeah. If we don't love them for who they are, we only love what we see of ourselves in that person. So it's all self-love still. It's not even love. It's nope. like, gosh. And he wrote that our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they're worthy. <laughs> Oh my gosh! And honestly, that might be my favorite love yeah. quote. I, yeah. I want to use love like a commodity. Yeah, I want to. I, I, I do it. I, I, I love imperfectly, and I keep coming back to this question about, um, I, you know, Jesus, can you please show me what it looks like to love others? Because I don't know. Yeah, I think I have an idea, but then, like what Merton had to say, I wind up being self-centered. Yeah. yeah. I'm only loving because I'm going to get something out of this. And it's like, can please teach me. Well, teach and, me. and this is the biggie for us. You know, Jesus says they're going to know his followers. 
<laughs> not by their denomination, I, I, oh, you by know, how right they are, or how right they are, their <laughs> theology, their doctrine, <laughs> purity. Can you can you love? Do ah, you love? Right. And I mean, and that's not cliche, and that's not minimizing gospel. That's yeah. If the gospel doesn't move us towards compassion and love and I, where Merton goes without stopping to inquire whether they deserve to be loved or not. Right. If, if we aren't the embodiment of love, then we're not really the embodiment of Christ. Exactly. exactly. And that's sobering and that's scary and it's exhilarating and it's hopeful, but it's all of those things at the same time. I am undone by that. Yeah. I, I, can't, I cannot come to terms with that um, because I'm so selfish. I mean, yeah. I, I I'm like, man, I don't want to love people like that. That'll cost me way too much. Yeah. And then we goes back to what, what yeah. we said. If I haven't already died, then I'm not willing to do that. Right. Um, but I look at I look at in and of course she's talked about in ways that are maybe helpful or not, but Mother Teresa saying, Okay, I'm gonna go to the poorest of the poor. Yeah. I'm gonna give my life there. And I think people recognize what that is. They yes. don't they don't look at that and go, uh, that's not love. People go, no, that's love. Yeah. And I think, well, how can we have way more of that and way less of I'm right? Yeah. Uh, we we, we got to make that shift. Yeah. Last, and one, you have one, a couple Brandon quotes. Uh, in these, uh, one from Abba's Child, one of my favorite books ever is Abba's Child. He says, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion, loved yeah. by God. Man, yeah. yeah. So I, what I have been doing in my own practice is to pause, uh, especially if I'm, I'm feeling emotional about something, uh, and it's not Montana Grizzly football, <laughs> then, then I, will, I, will, I will invite Christ to yeah. speak truth over me. Yeah. Show me what it looks like to be loved. I know that I'm afraid right now, Jesus. I know that you say that perfect love casts out fear through the scriptures. Help me to get it. Write this minute. Yeah. Help me to embody that. You know, yeah. and, and to live that out. Yeah, I'm, I'm moving into a series this fall. My fall series is Identity Theft. Oh, and uh, really that, that one I love because that was really one of my core uh, concepts. If we don't, if our identity doesn't start there in Christ... Yeah. then a million other things become our identity and all of them rob us of life. Yeah. And uh, so I, I really, I'm well, still trying to figure that one out. And but. It, well, and, and the reality is, is that we, it's too easy to have all those other identities and we, yeah. we rapidly collect them. Yes. And that, so, so when I go to one of the practices that I have people follow is I will say, go to Ephesians 1 and 2. And circle everything that, it, that Paul says is true about you. So, so blessed and chosen and adopted and forgiven and accepted. And, and make that list and then pray through the list and ask God to show you what does this actually look like. Help me to feel it. Help me to experience it. Help me to think it. Because it's, I think it's a lot like a river. <clears throat> if you're going to stand in the river, the river will just take you where the river goes. Yeah. You actually have to resist the river to to go where you want to go. Yeah. And that identity in particular is that where, man, we will get caught up in something and we'll, we'll be identifying with something that has nothing to do with what Christ has to say is true about us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a biggie for our culture right now too, freedom uh, in finding what, who Christ says you are, apart yeah. from all these other labels that we put on each other or put on ourselves. 
Yeah. All right. So I'm going to give you a quote now. Okay. Um, so when um, when uh, Brennan was out here at my at my place, I asked him. I said, Brennan, of all your books, what's the most important one? And because uh, I had read them all, and he said he felt the the book that he wrote, which was that captured the essence, was uh, Ruthless Trust. And probably not one of his bestsellers, but uh, it's a good book. And there's this quote in Ruthless Trust, as we move from love and from that last quote, Brennan wrote, that the splendor of a human heart that trusts it is loved unconditionally gives God more pleasure than the Westminster Cathedral, the Sistine Chapel, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, Van Gogh's Sunflowers, the sight of 10,000 butterflies in flight, or the scent of a million orchids in bloom. Mm. Trust is our gift back to God, and he yeah. finds it so enchanting that Jesus died for love of it. It's like, wow. Yeah. That's a fantastic. I, I wrote it down while you were talking because <laughs> I'm like, okay, picking up that book. Gonna, yeah. Gonna, yeah, that is a beautiful quote. Yeah, 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 good book too. It really is. Ruthless trust. Those are two words, right? Ruthless yep. trust. Yep. Uh, yeah. So oh. how that and that's our life. That's our gift back to God is ruthless trust. Bren was great with words too, but yeah. Well, Bob, thank you so much for uh, for hanging. Uh, yeah, where are fun. we gonna find? Where are we gonna find? Not my Jesus. Uh, how do we get a hold of this book? And uh, it's in bathrooms across America. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's on your normal outlets, uh, Amazon.com, okay. uh, Barnes and Noble. Um, if you go to my uh, website, there's a link that'll take you there. You can you can get it at any of those places. Where else can we find you? What are your what platforms are you on that we can get all of your wisdom and you know all of all that you have to offer? Well, um, you can't get all of me. Uh, first of all. <laughs> Um, yeah, I actually started a podcast, which I'm really excited about. Uh, it's called the Third Space Podcast. You can find that on iTunes and, and Spotify, oh, uh, some nice. other outlets, uh, and that's been going really well. I've been really excited about third, that. Uh, third Space Podcast, okay. The idea is that uh, there's a space between um, home and work mm -hmm. uh, where people inhabit, so so it's like a, a spiritual central perk. That's, <laughs> oh, that's a great image. Yeah, yeah, that's a great image for that. Yeah, so um, you know, have discussions uh, with people, and uh, we'll be doing um, a podcast with a guy named Monty Wright that I'm looking forward to. I've heard he's amazing. You know, I, uh, yeah. So Stellar <laughs> is the quote I heard. Stellar. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. Um, uh, but yeah, and then I have a website, bobfaby.com. Uh, I do a bunch of speaking. Uh, that's okay. kind of one of my main things. I, you, you know, there's always a question: Are you a writer who speaks? Or you yeah. speak who writes. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'm my best service probably speaking versus writing. Uh, yeah. But but so um, so people can can find me there, book book Great. me, speak and that kind of thing. There. Um, I'm on Facebook, uh, and uh, obviously you caught me. Yep. Uh, taking an Arizona shower. Yes. <laughs> Facebook uh, and Instagram as well. I'm on Twitter. Uh, so you can find me on all those normal kind of places. Awesome, and that's Bob Faby, a F A B E Y. So Bob with a B. No, just kidding. No. <laughs> Bob Faby, and that is that your Twitter handle too at Bob Faby. I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's awesome. Well, I, I'm going to highly recommend your book. I have not written my review yet, so but I will now go on uh, now that I've uh, thoroughly chopped up your book uh, and put my, my review on Amazon. But truly, I would encourage people to, uh, to get a copy of this book. Be a great conversation. 
Um, mm. If you've got a few friends just to talk through the, uh, the tweets and the views and where do you land? What's your image of, of Jesus? Could be a really uh, profound, you know, three, four, five, six weeks of hanging out together uh, with people that you're just doing life with to just talk about how, what is our view and how do we find freedom from that so Jesus can do what he needs to do. So anyway, uh, highly recommended. And uh, so from me to you, Bob, thanks for, thanks for hanging with us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's really fun. So good. That was Bob Faby, the author of Not My Jesus. Hey, thanks for hanging and listening to uh, our conversation today. I had such a great time interacting with Bob. I would really appreciate it if you could give this podcast a like. Uh, If you could subscribe on iTunes and do the follow and like links on uh, Podbean, that would be great. Also, don't forget that you can uh, follow me on Twitter, MCWright. You can also find me on Instagram at MCWright. And uh, looking forward to the next conversation that will be coming up soon. Until then, I hope you all have an amazing day, and we will talk on the flip side.